Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the Study with C. Martin podcast. I am your host, Shonda Martin. For those of you who may be new to the podcast, the Study with C. Martin podcast is the audio companion to the study textbook and online Bible study course. If you have not already done so, please visit us online at studywithcmartin.com. There you can register for the free online Bible study course and download the material chapter by chapter. Before we get started today, we're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for all of those that you've drawn to listen today, Lord. Pray that you would fill us all with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we would know what is the hope of your calling, that we would know what is the riches of the glory of your inheritance and the saints of light, and that we would all know, see, demonstrate, and experience the greatness of your power, which is toward us who believe your word. Continue to reveal more of yourself to us every day, Lord. Help us to walk in your word and apply your word in our lives so that we can see your power consistently at work in everything that we do and in everything that pertains to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you have not been keeping up with us so far, or if you are new to the podcast, I ask that you would come off of this particular lesson and go back and listen to chapters one through five so that you have good understanding of the section that we're about to cover. We don't want you to be lost as we cover this material. We've already covered a good bit of groundwork on understanding man's dominion and why God created us. So as we get into this next section, we want to make sure that you have that same understanding. Okay. If you have the PDF pulled up, we are on page 143 in chapter 6, starting with the section at the bottom of the page entitled, Church Traditions Make the Power of God of No Effect. Now, last time we finished up talking about how unbelief hinders people in the church. Unbelief hinders people by causing us to rely on ineffective and unscriptural traditions It causes us not to have faith when we pray. It makes us to look to others to pray for us. It causes veteran church members to always think of themselves as spiritual babies. And it will also cause ministries that used to see healings and miracles to no longer see them like they did in times past, making them think that the word of God no longer works. So in this section, we see here that when we subscribe to church traditions instead of believing what the word of God actually says in context, That causes his power not to be at work because we're not fully believing what he said. At a healing crusade, now if you're not familiar with healing crusades that they used to do back in the 1950s, there would be these large church services either at a church building or outside in a tent or at a convention center where people would come and hear specially anointed teachers and preachers of the gospel who knew how to pray and get people healed. And they still have those from time to time today. So at a healing crusade, saved and unsaved spiritual babies can be introduced to what the Bible says about healing. And even though their faith can be ignited to believe what the word of God says about healing, when they return to their home church or back to wherever they came from, their faith in the power of God gets extinguished. How? While many churches today are run by many very nice, well-educated, and well-meaning people, Many in the church today are given a foundation of unbelief instead of being taught to believe what the Bible actually says. 
Even though Romans chapter 10 verse 4 says that Jesus completely fulfilled the requirements of the law, traditions tell you that you still have to do certain Old Testament rituals like tithing or modern day rituals like sowing a seed to get God to heal you or help you. Even though Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 verse 19 that he gave us authority and power over all power of the devil, traditions teach you that you can't possibly exercise authority over the works of the devil for yourself. And if you really want to be healed or helped, to have a specially anointed minister or pastor pray for you. But whose report are you going to believe? In Mark chapter 7 verses 6 through 13, Jesus told the religious leaders, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching the commandments of men as if they were the commandments of God, as if they were doctrine. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, the rituals, and many other such things that you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down, and many such things you do. And what was Jesus saying there? He was saying, You would much rather hold on to your traditions instead of Believing what God said so that you could have his power at work. I mean, think about it. Jesus was saying that to the Pharisees back then. So in the same way, he's saying that to us now. Why do you want to hold on to these vain traditions? Why not believe what the word of God actually says so you can have his power at work in your life? It is impossible to believe God's word and still think that you need to apply man-made traditions, Old Testament rituals, or denominational practices for the power of God to produce healing or anything else from the word of God. While there can be times that God can direct others to specifically pray for you, it is not necessary for you to always have someone else do the praying for you. And while you can fast to get focused before the Lord, you don't have to fast in order to get God to heal you or help you. I'll repeat those two things again. While there can be times that God can direct others to specifically pray for you, it is not necessary for you to always have someone else to do the praying for you. What did we learn previously? After your spiritual eyes have been opened to know that healing and help are available for you in the word of God, you are going to be expected to believe something for yourself. And other people's prayers may no longer work for you if you are in that spiritually immature category. You're not a spiritual baby anymore. And secondly, while you can fast in order to get focused before the Lord, fasting does help you to focus. However, you don't have to fast in order to get God to heal you or help you. If you really believe that Jesus redeemed you and took away all your sicknesses and diseases, why would you need to sow a seed or tithe to get him to heal you or help you? Remember what we learned in Romans chapter 10. We receive every good thing from God by believing his word and speaking the word that we have believed. Applying these various traditions 
means that you don't believe that what Jesus said was true and you don't really believe that his sacrifice truly fulfilled the requirements of spiritual law. That's called being double-minded. And what does the Bible say the double-minded person will end up with? No healing and no help. James tells us, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, without reprimanding them, without condemning them for coming to him for healing or help in the first place. So if you lack anything, if you lack wisdom, healing or help, ask of God and he'll give it to you liberally, freely in abundance. That passage goes on to say, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And that's from James chapter 1 verses 5 through 8. While that scripture says wisdom, that also applies to anything else that you ask for or desire to receive from the Lord, including healing. Your confidence in exercising dominion and spiritual authority comes from believing the word of God, not from believing traditions. And this is why it can be so frustrating if you've been in a church for two years, five years, 10 years, or multiple decades, and you've been applying all of these traditions. You've got to make sure that you go to church every Sunday. You've got to make sure that you wear white on first Sundays. You've got to make sure that you're active in all of these different ministry activities. You've got to make sure that you give big offerings and you know support this and support that. And that will cause the hand of God to move. That will cause God to get busy about you. If you get busy about God, he'll get busy about you. How many of you have heard phrases like that before? Those things are simply not the truth. They sound good, but they're not the truth. Again, this course, these podcasts are a study in the word of God about man's dominion and spiritual law and spiritual authority. And we're studying this so that we can understand how to have God's power consistently at work in our everyday lives. I have no interest in trying to share opinions and theories or traditions just to fill time on this podcast. I want to help equip you so that you can have God's power, his real life, actual power consistently at work in your body for healing, in your relationships, situations and circumstances in your life so that you don't have to be defeated from one day to the next by works of the devil. So again, your confidence in exercising dominion and spiritual authority comes from you believing what the word of God says, not from believing in or applying traditions. Remember, we read the passage previously talking about how the gospel was preached to the Israelites just as the gospel is preached to us today, but it did not profit them anything because they did not mix faith with hearing the gospel. And what is faith? Simply believing what God said to be true. If you are putting faith in traditions, you are putting your faith in the wrong thing. And remember last time we talked about how if you keep hearing and hearing things that contradict the word of God, you're going to build faith for those contradictions and you're going to end up having unbelief for what the word of God actually says, causing his power not to be at work for you. Not because God doesn't like you or because he doesn't love you, but because your faith is in the wrong thing. Putting your faith in traditions means putting your faith into things that don't have power. We want his power to be at work, so we need to put our faith in what he said. When we choose to study the word of God for ourselves, 
you will be surprised to discover just how many of today's church traditions actually contradict what the word of God says. Again, if we are ever going to have what the Bible says we are to have, we are going to have to know and believe what the Bible says for ourselves, even if it goes against the traditions of our church. The Bible tells us not to add to or take away from any of God's instructions and not to alter them in any way. We see the scripture reference of that in Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. Throughout the Bible, we are reminded that all we need to do to receive what God promised is to believe and do what God said. We see examples where those who fully followed God's instructions were the ones who also fully received and enjoyed what he promised. But we also see where those who completely disobeyed God altogether encountered needless harm and loss. Likewise, we also see where people suffered unnecessary hardships because they decided to partially follow God's instructions and even added in a few of their own instructions. That's the situation a lot of people have found themselves in today, myself included, where you start believing part of what the word of God says, and then you start applying some of these traditions that other people have said, what your church may have said, or what you heard the person on TV say, or what you heard the person down the street say. Oh yeah, I believe what the Bible says, but I'm still going to carry a rabbit's foot in my pocket just for good luck. Oh, I believe what the Bible says, but I'm still going to give an offering at church so that I can be healed. God never said you had to give an offering in order to be healed. Let's look at a couple of examples where people partially followed God's instructions and added in a few of their own instructions. God told Abraham that he was going to give him the son of the promise. But instead of just relying on what God told him, Abraham and his wife Sarah decided to use her servant Hagar as a surrogate mother. While Sarah eventually gave birth to the son that God promised, she and Abraham created 13 years of unnecessary drama with Hagar. And you see that story in Genesis chapters 15 through 18 and also in chapter 21. What's interesting to note about that situation is that it mirrors what happened in the Garden of Eden. God gave that instruction to Abraham. He didn't give it to Abraham and Sarah. He told that directly to Abraham. Go back to Genesis chapter 15 and you'll see that. He talked directly to Abraham, told him what he was going to do. God gave Adam directions in the Garden of Eden. But then their wives came and gave them alternate instructions. God told Adam, don't eat from this tree. His wife said, hey, let's try this fruit right here. And he disregarded what God told him. Likewise, God told Abraham that he was going to give them the son of the promise. And Abraham chose to listen to what his wife said instead of what God told him. And in both situations, both men ended up with bad situations because of failing to obey God's instruction. Now hear me clearly on this. I'm not proposing to cause division in anyone's marriage or relationship. But if God ever gives you specific instruction on something, you cannot supersede his instruction with somebody else's, whether that's your husband, your wife, your children, your bo- whoever the person is. If God gave you specific instruction, you follow what God told you to do. That's how we end up with what God promised when we follow his instructions. And again, with Abraham and Sarah, they did eventually get the son that God promised them. However, it came with a bunch of unnecessary problems. They did not have to have those problems. Another example we see with the Israelites, when they needed water in the wilderness, 
God instructed Moses to speak to the rock. After being frustrated with the people, Moses not only spoke to the rock, but he hit the rock. Then water flowed out for the people. As a result, Moses did not go into the promised land. He didn't get to go into the promised land. Now you can look at that story on the surface and say, what was his sin? What was so bad about him just hitting the rock? Moses was a leader who had experienced the holy presence and power of God more than any other person on the planet at that time, which means he should have known better. It's very much like your child that you have raised that has spent time with you day in and day out for years. They know you. They know what your rules are. So you expect for them to follow your instructions. Now, if you were babysitting someone else's child who you had never babysat before, You wouldn't expect for that child to know all of your rules and procedures, but your child, you would. Much like the wicked kings that later ruled in Israel, Moses' action of disobedience set a bad example for the people. Remember, he was the leader. He was leading the people. He was telling the people that he was hearing directly from God the Father. And in his act of disobedience, he set a bad example for the people wrongly teaching them that it was okay if they did not always fully obey God's instructions. And you can see that story in Numbers chapter 20 verses 1 through 12. And again, we have to be mindful of the examples that we set for other people. If we call ourselves Christians, we should not be doing ungodly things and still saying that, oh yes, we believe that the word of God is true. We believe that the word of God says this, that, and the other, and that God is this and that God is that, yet we go and contradict those things with our words and actions later in the day or later in the week. Oh, no, no. We know how to go to church on Sunday and behave like good Christians. But on Wednesday, what are we doing? There's a scripture in Isaiah where the Lord says that all day long, we blaspheme his name by our words and our actions. It's not the heathens. It's not the unsaved people who are blaspheming the name of God. It's his own people who are blaspheming his name by failing to apply his word and his order consistently to their everyday lives. And those things cause his power to be hindered. And we end up having the detriment that we're not supposed to have because we claim to be his people. All right, let's move on to another example. When Rebecca that was Isaac's wife, was pregnant with Esau and Jacob, God had already told her that her older son Esau would serve the younger son Jacob. Yet she decided that she needed to get Jacob to trick his father into giving him the blessing. Like Moses, Jacob still got the water. He still ended up being the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, but his trickery cost him years of broken fellowship with his brother And he was no longer able to see his parents because he was on the run from his brother. Esau was going to kill him. So he was on the run. And his actions of trickery caused him to reap trickery from his own father-in-law. His father-in-law tricked him into marrying a woman that he did not love. And that just created a whole bunch of other drama for Jacob. And you can read his story in Genesis chapters 27 through 33. And just like Moses and Abraham, Jacob got what God said in the end, but he also ended up having years of unnecessary drama because he and his mother added their own instructions to what God said. Now, some of you might be like Abraham, Moses, or Jacob saying, well, I heard what you said, but I know anytime that I have a need, I go on a fast, I tithe or sow a seed and God causes what I need to come to me. 
So I definitely believe that those things work for me. But what was Jesus's instruction to us in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24? Jesus said, whoever says and believes in his heart and does not doubt. Whoever says, whoever speaks concerning a matter and believes in his heart and does not doubt, that man shall have whatsoever he says. Whatever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Those verses say nothing about fasting, sowing a seed, or tithing. They only mention saying, praying, and believing. Think about that. While a person can add tithing or sowing a seed or fasting to believing that God will hear and answer their prayers, the tithing, sowing, and fasting aren't what caused their prayers to be heard or answered. Their faith, believing that God would hear them and help them, is what got their prayers answered. Again, faith, us believing what God said, is what causes his power to be at work, not our faith in doing actions. Got to remember that. Some might say, I'm sure the Bible says that we have to give something in order to get something. Besides, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 4, didn't Jesus tell those 10 lepers to go take an offering to the priest? Didn't they have to give an offering for their healing? I'm glad you asked. When Jesus was on the earth, the Israelites were still under the old covenant. The old covenant consisted of the 613 plus rules and ceremonial requirements that the people had to strictly adhere to for righteousness so that they could temporarily pay the price for their sins and receive healing and help from God. But did it really matter what the Israelites gave as an offering? Some have argued folks offered animals under the old covenant because that was the currency they used back then. But we use money for our offerings today because that's our currency. Remember, you need to study to understand spiritual law. Throughout the Old Testament times, specific ceremonial actions had to be done and specific offerings had to be made to temporarily atone for Adam's sin so that people could receive from God. For example, when the Israelites were commanded to tithe under the Old Covenant, they could not just put money on the altar on random days of the week. Tithes were collected at specific times of the year and that specific offering had to be 10% of specific items and had to be received in a specific manner by specific priests who had to follow a specific set of instructions before they could even collect the tithes. You can check that for yourself. Look at Leviticus chapter 27, verses 28 to 33, Numbers chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 5 to 28, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 to 29, Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 through 15, and more. Another example, when the Israelites were commanded to perform the first Passover before they were delivered from Egypt, they were commanded to sacrifice a specific kind of lamb. They could not randomly decide to offer a butterfly or a duck or some other animal or put $50 on the altar. You can see that in Exodus chapter 12 verses 1 through 30. Under the Old Testament laws, those with leprosy were not allowed to mix with the rest of the population. As long as they were ill, they had to remain separate from the rest of the people. But the law required people who had been healed of leprosy to go show themselves to the priests and take an offering for their cleansing before they could be admitted back into the regular population. 
We'll study the difference between what it meant for a person to be cleansed or healed of leprosy a bit later. That's important. We're going to study that out. But for right now, we're focusing on what the lepers actually had to offer because people try to say that we can make offerings for healing today because Jesus told the 10 lepers to go make an offering to the priest. But in examining that, what did those lepers actually have to give as an offering? Was it money? Let's see what the law said they had to give as an offering. And I told you guys, we don't have any fluff material here. We're going to take it straight back to the Bible and we're going to read these passages in context, in detail, in depth. So you know for yourself what the word of God says. All right. This is what the Bible says the lepers had to offer. The Lord said to Moses, these are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing. When they are brought to the priest, the priest is to go outside the camp and examine them. He's to check them to see if they really are delivered from this ailment. If they have been healed of their defiling skin disease, The priest shall order that two live clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. Then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over fresh water in a clay pot. Not a metal pot, not a glass pot, a clay pot. He is then to take the live bird and dip it together with the cedar wood, not oak wood, but cedar wood, and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop, into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Again, these are all specific instructions. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease and then pronounce them clean. After that, he is to release the live bird into the open fields. The person to be cleansed must wash their clothes, shave off all their hair and bathe with water. Then they will be ceremonially clean. After this, they may come into the camp, but they must stay outside their tent for seven days. On the seventh day, they must shave off all their hair. They must shave their head, their beard, their eyebrows, and the rest of their hair. They must wash their clothes and bathe themselves with water and they will be clean. On the eighth day, they must bring two male lambs, not a male and a female, but two male lambs, not two male goats, not two male chickens two male lambs and one ewe lamb, a year old, not five years old, but a year old, each without defect, along with three-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil for a grain offering and one log of oil. The priest who pronounces them clean shall present both the one to be cleansed and their offerings before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. The tent of the meeting is where they held their services, where they worship God, where they offer their sacrifices. Then the priest is to take one of the male lambs and offer it as a guilt offering, along with the log of oil. He shall wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. He is to slaughter the lamb in the sanctuary area where the sin offering and the burnt offerings are slaughtered. Like the sin offering, the guilt offering belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest is to take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. The priest shall then take some of the log of oil, pour it in the palm of his own hand, dip his right forefinger into the oil in his palm, and with his finger sprinkle some of it before the Lord seven times. 
The priest is to put some of the oil remaining in his palm on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot, on top of the blood of the guilt offering. The rest of the oil in his palm, the priest shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed and make atonement for them before the Lord. And those instructions are found in Leviticus chapter 14 verses 1 through 18. While those instructions might seem like a lot, that's not even all of the requirements the lepers had to fulfill. As you just read, none of the Old Testament rituals were about money. If the requirement was just that they had to pay something of monetary value, God would have just commanded them to pay specific shekel amounts of gold or silver. They had money back then. They had silver. They had gold. But God did not tell them that that was the requirement. Yes, there were other times when the people were instructed to give financial and material offerings, like the free will offerings they gave to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. You can check that out in Exodus chapter 35, verses 4 through 35. However, this was not that kind of offering. Again, every ceremonial offering and action that was given or performed under the old covenant was specific and had significance according to spiritual law and was a necessary requirement for their righteousness. And why was that important? When Adam sinned, he became unrighteous. Righteousness is what causes us to be able to freely receive from God. Jesus restored our righteousness. The Bible says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, through Christ, because of Christ. But during the Old Testament times, Jesus had not come yet, so they still had to perform these rituals for righteousness. And once they performed these rituals for righteousness, they could then freely receive from God, but they had to continually perform these things. If they failed to follow any part of those specific instructions God had given them for righteousness, they would have disqualified themselves from receiving the protection, healing, and help God prepared for them. Now you rewind this section if you need to, but understand in Old Testament times, those requirements were specific and they had to be done. But we are not under the old covenant. We who have received Jesus Christ as our sacrifice for sin, we have been redeemed. He has restored our righteousness. So we don't have to perform any of those Old Testament rituals in order to receive healing and help from God. Do you understand that? As people of God, we are either under the old covenant or the new covenant. The Bible tells us that if you choose to keep the law, meaning that if you choose to abide by the old covenant, you have to keep the whole law. We see scripture reference for that in James chapter 2 verse 10 and Galatians chapter 3 verses 10 through 12. That means that you would not only have to follow the specific commandments about tithing, keeping the Passover and the instructions for the lepers, but you have to keep all of the other 600 plus laws as well because you don't really believe that Jesus' sacrifice was enough to make you completely righteous. You need to understand that. If you want to pick and choose and say that you need to tithe and that you need to do this thing and you need to do this ceremonial thing that you read in Exodus or Leviticus, then you have to fulfill all of those other ceremonial acts as well. Because if you miss any one of those instructions, that nullifies anything that you do do. Like, do you get that? Just because you tithe, tithing was just one instruction. You got 612 more things that you got to do if you think you still have to do those requirements for righteousness. 
I receive Jesus as my savior. I receive him as the fulfillment of the law for me. And that causes me to be able to receive freely from God the Father just by believing and speaking his word. You can make the same choice. You can continue to do these Old Testament things or traditions that you've heard other people suggest that you need to do. Or you can just freely receive healing and help from God just by believing and speaking that you have those things. Again, if you think that you still need to tithe or make an offering for your healing or help, you will not be able to receive healing or help from God until you fulfill all the other 600 plus laws for righteousness. Moreover, the Bible tells us that upon Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the new covenant replaced the old. As the broken body and shed blood of Jesus fulfilled every ceremonial act and offering required for our righteousness, completely redeeming us from Adam's sin and completely qualifying us to receive healing and help from God. Romans chapter 10 verse 4 tells us, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Hebrews 8, 6 says, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a better covenant with God based on better promises. Furthermore, the Bible tells us that those who reject Jesus as the sacrifice that God sent to fully atone for Adam's sin will be worse off in the day of judgment than those who rejected the word of God that was sent through Moses. Hebrews 10, 28 through 31 tells us, A man who refused to obey the laws given by Moses was killed without mercy if there were two or three witnesses to his sin. Think how much more terrible the punishment will be for those who have trampled underfoot the Son of God and treated his cleansing blood as though it were common and unhallowed, unholy, and insulted and outraged the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to his people. For we know him who said, Justice belongs to me, or vengeance is mine, and I will repay them. Who also said, The Lord himself will handle these cases. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You must understand, man-made traditions, works, and unscriptural religious acts will never be able to do what could only be accomplished by the shed blood and broken body of Jesus. If you have believed and accepted what Jesus did for us and believe what he said, that means that you are under the new covenant. If you were told that you have to make a financial offering to be healed or have your prayers answered, that is a tradition that your church or denomination created. We cannot select random religious acts in the Bible, use our own interpretations to incorrectly carry them out, and think that God will bless us because we partially copied what the people in the Bible did. Those living under the old covenant had to perform those rituals because the Redeemer had not come yet. But now that Jesus has come, we are under the new covenant. And the only thing we have to do to receive healing and help from God is to believe his word and speak that we believe it. Remember, Jesus never put requirements on people to receive healing or anything else. We'll cover that extensively in detail when we get to the section right before chapter 11, where we go through healings in the New Testament. Jesus never told people that they could only be healed or helped if they fasted or sowed a seed. There is no passage of scripture where Jesus ever told anybody to fast, tithe, or sow a seed in order to receive anything from him. I mean, think about that for a minute. The next time you go to church or go somewhere or or listen to a message on TV, or listen to somebody say that you've got to do this, that, and the other to get God to help you. 
Where do they find that instruction in the Bible? Yes, there are times in the Bible where God gave specific instructions to specific people. But if it was not a general instruction to everyone for how they are to receive from God, that does not apply to you. If there's no passage of scripture where Jesus ever told anybody to fast, tithe, or sow a seed in order to receive anything from him, why would you think that you need to add some church tradition to your prayers for God to help you or heal you? But if your prayers still get answered in spite of you doing those additional traditional acts, what's the harm? The harm is you will start building more confidence in doing those actions than in just believing the word of God. Remember, we are all expected to mature in faith, but when you spend your time building your faith in denominational traditions instead of believing what the word of God actually says in context, who will be able to pray you and your loved ones out of sickness and calamity when your faith is built on fasting and offerings? Where will your faith be If you're used to sowing a seed in order to get God to help you, what will happen if you don't have any money to make an offering? All of your faith is in being able to give an offering to get God to help you. If you don't have any money, he can't help you. Your faith will tell you that. Then when your situation doesn't get any better, you'll suffer through that awful circumstance saying that it must not have been God's will to heal you or help you. No, that's not the truth. Study to know and believe what the word of God actually says. Again, that's how we cause his power to be at work in our lives. When we believe what his word actually says. It really is finished because he is Jehovah Jireh. In the Old Testament, many names are used to describe God, who he is and what he has done for us. One of those many names is Jehovah Sidkenu which means the Lord is my righteousness. Meaning we are righteous, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. We see that scripture reference in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses five and six. Another descriptor of God is he is El Royi, which means he's the God who sees. And the scripture reference for that is in Genesis 16, 13. That means Wherever you are, wherever you happen to be, and whatever you're going through, God sees you. Know that God sees you, that he is with you. Another name is Jehovah Jireh. While some often shorten the definition of that last name to be the Lord will provide, the full meaning of that name is the Lord himself will provide the sacrifice. And we see the scripture reference for that in Genesis chapter 22 verses 8 through 14. And what do we really learn from that particular name of God? In other words, the Lord himself provided the once and for all sacrificial lamb for our healing, salvation, and deliverance from every part of the curse of the law. And his name is Jesus, not tithe, not go on a fast, or sow a seed if you have a need. Now, why is this so important for us to understand? In Acts chapter 15, we see where various teachers and religious leaders were trying to persuade the Gentiles in Antioch to believe that they could only be saved or receive healing, help, or salvation if they were circumcised as the Jews had been. They were basically saying the only way that you're going to be able to receive anything from God, even under this new covenant, is if you do all of these Old Testament, Old Covenant rituals that we have been practicing all of these years. Let's read the passage. 
Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. They were teaching people in the church. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. The religious leaders, they met to talk about this matter. Now, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. He's telling them the process by which we are to receive from God by hearing and believing. He says, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? He's telling them, why are you trying to make them follow or try to keep the 600 plus laws of the old covenant when you know we couldn't keep all of the requirements of the old covenant? Then he says, no. We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. That passage is found in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, and also verses 5 through 11. Now, in that discussion, in that meeting where the elders were discussing that issue, Peter reminded those leaders of how when the Lord Jesus sent him to minister to a non-Jewish man named Cornelius and his family, you see that story in Acts chapters 10 and 11, the Lord showed Peter that he himself completed all that needed to be done for all of our salvation and that it was no longer necessary for us to have to do any of the ceremonial acts that had been previously required under the old covenant. Again, while circumcision had been required under the old covenant, Jesus's death on the cross completely fulfilled the penalties of Adam's sin, causing nothing else to be required for our righteousness. Nevertheless, various religious leaders and teachers still persisted in trying to get people to do righteous works in order to receive from God. We see another instance of this when the Apostle Paul had to correct those in the church at Galatia. Although he spent time there preaching the message of faith, after he left, others came into the church, persuading them to believe in doing works to receive from God. Now let's look at Galatians chapter three and see where Paul laid all of this out. Paul said, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's asking them, who has fooled you into believing this nonsense? Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit of God? by works of the law or by the hearing of faith are you so foolish having begun in the spirit are you now being made perfect by the flesh are you now being made righteous by works have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain therefore he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you 
Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing and faithful Abraham. And again, that passage comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Now, why is this passage of scripture so interesting? Paul was not like some regular preacher just going around giving speeches or quoting scriptures. This is interesting because where Paul went, Paul preached and there were mighty miracles and things done among the people. Miracles, signs and wonders were wrought among the people. We see that throughout the book of Acts. But even in spite of these signs and wonders being done and miracles and healings being wrought in the name of Jesus Christ, by just believing in the name of Jesus Christ, these people listened to these other teachers that came into the church telling them that they had to do stuff in order to receive from God. So in this message to the church in Galatia, Paul is asking them, when I was working these miracles and signs and wonders before you, were they being done by you bringing an offering? Were they being done by you sowing a seed if you had a need? Were they being done by you being circumcised? No, they were being done by the preaching of the gospel. They were being done by hearing and believing, by hearing and having faith in the gospel, having faith in the truth, having faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Just as with the people in Galatia, when the gospel is preached today, far too often, people are taught that they still have to do something to get God to heal, help, or prosper them. When Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected, he became both the high priest and the actual sacrifice, shedding his own blood and dying for our sins and taking his own blood into the holiest of holies in heaven to atone for our sins. And the Bible tells us that unlike the other earthly priests that lived during the Old Testament days, Jesus does not need to keep offering sacrifices because he gave himself the only lamb that could fully atone for the sins of all mankind. Again, the priests that lived in the Old Testament days, they had to offer sacrifices periodically at certain times of the year for the sins of the people so that the people could receive from God. But when Jesus was crucified, that was a one and done. He doesn't need to keep offering himself as a sacrifice. His shed blood and his righteous sacrifice is what completely redeemed us from the curse of the law that came about because of what Adam did. Which means when we fully believe and accept what he did for us, we don't have to keep doing all of these other things. Because if we believe we have to keep doing these other things, then we have to continually do all of these other things in order to receive from God. And if we don't fully fulfill all of the 600 plus laws of the Old Testament, all of our actions are in vain because we're not fulfilling them according to what the word of God actually says we're supposed to do if you're fulfilling works under the Old Covenant. Let's look at what the scripture says about Jesus being the one and only sacrifice needed to redeem mankind. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, the first covenant, the Old Covenant, that he may establish the second, the new covenant. By that, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. 
And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified, those who were coming to receive salvation. Then he, God the Father, adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission or forgiveness for these sins, there is no longer an offering needed for sin. And again, we find that in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 9 through 14, and also 17 and 18. The Bible also tells us in Hebrews chapter 7, but he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. He is able to save completely all who come to God through him for he ever lives to make intercession for them and will always be there to remind God that Jesus has paid for their sin with his own blood. Therefore, he is exactly the kind of high priest we need for he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin, undefiled by sinners. And to him has been given the place of honor in heaven. He never needs the daily blood of animal sacrifices as other priests did to cover over first their own sins and then the sins of the people. For he finished all sacrifices. He finished the necessity for all sacrifices once and for all when he sacrificed himself on the cross. Under the old system, under the old covenant, even the high priests were weak and sinful men who could not keep from doing wrong. But later, God appointed by his oath, his son, who is perfect forever. And that's from Hebrews chapter seven, verses 24 to 28. And again, Jesus was not righteous, not perfect because he lived a perfectly sinless life. Jesus was the perfect, righteous and holy sacrifice for sin because of God, his father. Jesus came directly from God. When Mary became pregnant, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon her and overshadowed her. Look at uh, Luke chapter one, I believe it is. When the angel told her that she was going to have a child, Mary said, how can this be seeing that I know not a man? She had never been intimate with a man before. She was engaged to be married, but she had not been intimate with a man before. The angel told her that the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and overtake you. The Holy Spirit came upon her and caused her to be pregnant, caused her to conceive that baby in her womb. Her earthly husband-to-be had no part in the conception process of Jesus. The father part of conception came directly by way of God the Father through the Holy Spirit. Everybody else that has been born on the earth came by way of an earthly mother and an earthly father. However, Jesus is the only person that was born of an earthly mother, but directly from his heavenly father. And because he did not have the same earthly father, he does not have the same spiritual DNA as those who were direct descendants of Adam. The Bible goes on to tell us in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising and not giving consideration to the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And again, that's from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Again, under the old covenant, 
People made offerings so that they could be healed and protected from the curses of sickness, harm, dysfunction, and destruction that came as a result of Adam's sin. But once Jesus, the complete atonement for the sins of mankind, was sacrificed, no other offering for sin was needed. If Jesus, who is our high priest, doesn't need to keep making offerings for us to receive from God, why do we think that we would still need to do anything to receive what God provided? And just why do those passages say that Jesus sat down after making that offering? Because he was finished. And because the work was finished, there was no other Old Testament ritual or offering that we need to make for our righteousness. Again, to think that something else still needs to be done for you to be healed, saved, or forgiven means that what Jesus did was not enough. Think about that. Like most people would never think to say something like that out loud. You want to justify having to make offerings and having to fast and having to do all of these things. But by you saying that you still have to do those things, you are also saying that Jesus' sacrifice was not enough. You think about that from now on. If you think you still need to make offerings, every time you put that offering in the plate, every time you put that offering on the altar and say that you have to do this in order to be healed or helped or have God to answer your prayers, you are saying with that offering, I'm doing this because Jesus was not enough. I'm going on a fast because Jesus was not enough. Think about that. When you do those actions, you are saying that even though God strategically sent Jesus through a nation of people he carefully led for 42 generations, telling them that the Messiah he would send would be the savior of the whole world, God didn't actually tell the whole truth. Because when Jesus finally came, his sacrifice just wasn't enough for your healing. You still need to tithe. You still need to sow a seed or go on a fast. You still need to do something to get God to heal you or help you. No, when we read the Bible in context, we know that those statements are just not true. We don't have to do anything to get God to heal us or help us. We just need to believe what his word says. Again, the Bible tells us that Jesus was the once and for all. Repeat that. Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice for my sin. Say that. Remind yourself of that. And under this new covenant, the only thing left for us to do to receive from God is to believe his word and receive what he provided through Jesus. As we read in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, Jesus is the reason we have faith. He's the reason. He's the author. The reason we have something to believe in the first place. If he had not done anything, there would not be anything for us to believe. But the Bible tells us that he is also the finisher of our faith, meaning that when we believe and accept what he has done for us, he causes what we believe to come to pass. He's the finisher. Say Jesus is the finisher. Luke chapter one, verse 45 also tells us you are blessed because you believe what the Lord said would really happen or be fulfilled. That's what Elizabeth told Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was also pregnant at the same time. She was pregnant with John the Baptist. And in their conversation, Elizabeth told Mary, blessed are you because you believe that what God told you is actually coming to pass. I love that. 
You're blessed when you believe the word of God because you're going to get what he told you. Why is that person blessed? Because as a result of them believing the word of God, what they believed comes to pass. Again, it goes back to what the word of God says about the Israelites. The gospel was preached to them. God told them, hey, this is what I got for you. You can have it. It's yours. Just believe it. They did not mix faith with what he told them. The words that I'm telling you right now, if you just believe what I'm telling you, believe what the word of God says about being able to freely receive without having to offer sacrifices or make financial offerings or go on a fast or sow a seed, you can freely receive from God because of Jesus. Just believe that. Mix faith with this. Whether you knew it or not, before you started reading this material or started listening to this podcast, Jesus had already died for your sins and you were already redeemed. All you need to do is to believe it and choose to accept that. When Adam sinned, he made all of us spiritual criminals, cutting us off from any right to freely receive anything from God. But when we believe and accept Jesus' sacrifice, we acknowledge that he did completely fulfill the sin penalty for us by dying on a cross and having his blood shed for us. Thus clearing us of that spiritual crime and making us just as righteous as Jesus himself so that we can freely receive everything that God has already prepared for us through Jesus. Every person who chooses to believe that Jesus has redeemed them and calls on the name of the Lord to accept what Jesus did shall be saved, redeemed, healed, and forgiven. Again, we covered that back in chapter three. To be saved means that you're healed, forgiven, and redeemed. No other sacrifice needs to be made and no other ritual needs to be done for your healing, for you to be saved, or for peace and prosperity to be restored. No one has to come up with some kind of special sacrifice to lay on the altar or put in the offering plate to try to get the hand of God to move. Again, Romans 10 tells us that the only work that is left to be done is to believe the finished work of Jesus Christ and speaking that we believe it. Again, the Bible tells us that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? When we look at Mark chapter 10, and this isn't in the text, so this is some extra I'm throwing in for free. But when we look at the text in Mark chapter 10, we see the story of this blind guy named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus had heard about Jesus. He heard that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that God sent to save us. He heard that Jesus was passing by, so he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What did Bartimaeus mean when he called Jesus son of David? To call him son of David meant that you believed that he was the one that God sent to redeem us, that you believed what the scripture said about him. Bartimaeus was calling out in the midst of a crowd, crowds of people who were telling him to be quiet, in the midst of the disciples telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, the scripture says, until Jesus heard him and said, bring him to me. And when he got to Jesus, Jesus said, what is it that you will have me to do for you? Bartimaeus said, Lord, that I will receive my sight. Bartimaeus did not go into details about how bad his experience had been being blind and how much suffering he had gone through. Bartimaeus told the Lord what he wanted to receive. Likewise, right now, there is somebody listening to me today. You need to receive something from the Lord, and I perceive that you have faith to receive it today. Just like Bartimaeus, 
We don't need to come and tell him how bad the situation is. We come to the Lord and tell him what it is that we expect to receive. Our eyes fully believing, fully fixed on what he's going to do for us. Bartimaeus couldn't see, but his faith was fixed on what he was going to receive from the Lord. Likewise, call upon the name of the Lord, confess and acknowledge that he is the one that completely fulfilled everything that needed to be done for you to be able to freely receive from God. Just like Bartimaeus say, Lord, I believe you're the redeemer. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you completely fulfilled everything that was required under the law for me to freely receive from God. Now, right now, Lord, I want to receive my healing. I believe if I call upon your name, I can be completely healed in my body, that my marriage can be completely healed. My children can be completely obedient, that my financial situation can be completely turned around. My housing situation can be completely turned around. Legal challenges are completely turned around. Whatever the situation is, call upon the name of the Lord right now. Confess and acknowledge that he completely fulfilled it, that you don't have to put any offerings on the altar, that you don't have to do any kind of work, that you believe that he completely fulfilled it. And because you believe he completely fulfilled it and you called on his name for that situation, know that it's done. From now on, keep thanking God that it's done. Keep thanking God that he heard you. He heard you just as clearly as when Bartimaeus called on Jesus to receive his sight. So as you have called on the Lord to receive healing in your body, to receive restoration in your relationships in whatever area you needed help in, rejoice and know that it's done. Know that it's done. In spite of what things might try to continue to look like, keep confessing that it's done. God, I thank you that you heard me. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus. God, I thank you that Jesus fulfilled it. God, I thank you that you heard me. I thank you that I'm healed. I thank you that my marriage is restored. I thank you that my children are walking up right before you. God, I thank you that that problem is resolved. God, I give you glory, praise, and honor that everything is fixed now, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you've heard me. Keep praising God, believing that he has heard you, and because he's heard you, he's done exactly what you asked for. Amen. I guess we will stop here for today. I hope you have enjoyed our time together in the Word today. Again, if you have not already been to the website, visit us at studywithcmartin.com. There you can register for the free online Bible study course and download the material chapter by chapter and complete the assessments as you go along to make sure that you're retaining the information. If you have any questions or positive feedback about the material or the podcast, send us a message at contact at studywithcmartin.com or you can send us a message on Instagram and Facebook at studywithcmartin, on Twitter at studywithcmartin, on anchor.fm forward slash study with C. Martin, you can leave us a voice message. Thanks again for joining us. I've been your host, Shonda Martin. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>